for every child, brought to you by UNICEF New Zealand. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Ethan Donnell, and you're listening to For Every Child, UNICEF New Zealand's radio journey, exploring some of the most pressing issues facing children around the world and here in New Zealand. On this month's episode, we'll be taking an in-depth dive into child rights in New Zealand, as well as taking you inside the situation in Aleppo. We'll come to the latest from Aleppo soon, but first, New Zealand. Last month, our nation went before the United Nations on the rights of children. This is part of a review process that happens every five years, where the UN Committee checks our progress for children against its guiding document, the Convention on the Rights of the Child, of which New Zealand is a signatory. Previous reviews from the committee have been extremely critical of New Zealand's approach to child rights. It's also worth noting that Minister of Social Development, Anne Tolley, led the New Zealand delegation, the first time one of our government ministers has led the delegation to Geneva. What did the committee question our government about? Well, many things. In addition to raising concerns about whether New Zealand has a comprehensive action plan for all children, and whether the new Ministry for Vulnerable Children will help every child, the UN committee was concerned that children in New Zealand are not involved in making decisions. That's right, Kiwi kids aren't involved in making decisions that affect them, when by rights they should actually lead some of these processes. It was a finding that is incredibly timely considering Save the Children, UNICEF New Zealand and ACIA recently supported young New Zealanders to make their views on child rights known. 1,198 children from all around the country participated in the initiative and some of the findings were simply alarming. Our reporter Nick Dale spoke to some of the young people who led this process. The UN Convention on the Rights of the Child has been ratified by Aotearoa New Zealand for 23 years. Despite this, children in this country continue to have a limited knowledge of their rights, with very few opportunities to participate in government processes which affect them. UNICEF and Save the Children teamed up with the youth ambassadors from each organisation to write a report, Our Voices, Our Rights, to address this. Cheska Saavedra and Rupi Sands jumped at the chance to contribute. It would allow the young people, especially young children, to have a platform to be able to voice out what changes they want to see. And since then, I was like, this is something I need to be involved with. And it's a chance to kind of create a greater conversation around how youth drive their own futures and how uh, you can use the report to find out what's important to the young people that you're working with, to your kids, to the young people in the community around you and to start those wider conversations. The youth ambassadors set about contacting schools to find children they could interview. Ethan Sturm. We, we talked to um, children and asked them um, directly, like, what, what do you think about your rights? Like, what do you think your rights are? And do you think that they're respected? Amandi Wirasindra was dismayed to discover that children knew very little of their rights. In the particular group I spoke with, they had a very basic um, understanding of their rights. There's the main ones like food, shelter, and things that would come under both children's rights and human rights, and things that were represented a lot in media. But the other things, like especially what the government is responsible for, like providing reliable information, things like that, they had no idea. Despite this, they found the children they spoke to had an impressive grasp of issues facing them. Max Wirati Gold and Cheska Saavedra. Kids have a very intelligent and 
understanding of their world because I have a younger brother who is the same age as the kids we looked at and I didn't have thought that he would come up with the answers that the kids we looked at did. The funniest thing I found is that children know about, children as young as nine know about the Auckland housing crisis. So I was sat there like, oh, <laughs> I didn't even know you guys knew about this. I didn't even know they knew that warm, safe housing wasn't in abundance and that they felt like this was a massive problem. An interesting finding in the report was that children find relationships with their friends and family important for their happiness rather than material things. Zainab Mohibi. In, the, in this kind um, era, I thought that people are like more losting their interest in the families and society. They're more like going into social media things, but yeah, it was surprising. The ambassadors became concerned about the effect child poverty has on mental and physical health. Naros Tolohun. The whole child poverty issue, it, it, it affects quite a lot of the child's um, life and not just as a child but also later on in life so it is paramount that it gets um, sorted. Sitkinu Masharawa felt rewarded by contributing to the report and looks to her own future. For me personally it's made me more interested in medicine and like wanting to be a paediatrician it's made me just realize how important what I want to do with my life is and how all these children may not understand that they deserve good teachers, good doctors, good people to surround them and give them the life that they deserve. To get a better idea about this process, we invited two of the young people who led it into the Access Radio studios. UNICEF New Zealand Youth Ambassador Ethan Sturm and Save the Children New Zealand Youth Ambassador Sid Mushariwa sat down with UNICEF New Zealand Child Rights Education Advisor Jackie Selfie to discuss what they learned and also what needs to change. Over the past year, Save the Children and UNICEF have been working together with our youth teams to bring voices of children in New Zealand to Geneva to talk to the Committee on the Rights of the Child on how well children's rights are being implemented here in New Zealand. Many people in New Zealand won't know that our government is currently under examination by the committee to understand how well children's rights are being realised here in New Zealand. As part of this process, our youth teams work together to consult with nearly 2,000 children across New Zealand to find out their views. We have Ethan and Sid here today to talk to you a little about this process, what they've found out and what we think should happen now. Ethan and Sid, before you uh, came to save the children in UNICEF, did you know about this process and what did you know about your rights? Um, before I came to UNICEF I didn't really know um, too much about um, the, the periodic review of the process. Um, I didn't know much about children's rights either. Um, in school we kind of had a brief kind of overview of um, human rights but nothing really detailed about what my rights were as a young person. Yeah, I'd say it's the same. I didn't really know much about child's rights. So when um, you think about the Convention on the Rights of the Child was ratified by the New Zealand government in 1993, that's quite some time ago, 23 years ago. What are your thoughts about the fact that you didn't know about your rights, that you had to um, work with an NGO to find out about them? Um, I find it really surprising. Like, I didn't 
that it's been around so long, but like so few people actually know. Yeah, um, I agree. I would I would think that um, there would be more implementation of um, uh, the knowledge around it, especially for children, because how are we meant to access it if we don't really know about it? So as part of this process, NGOs form a coalition to create an alternative report. And the information that we found out when we consulted with children contributes to that alternative report. Would you like to talk a little about what our process was, what our project aims were, and how we came about deciding the questions we would ask? So there was, we had Save the Children and UNICEF New Zealand. We were collaborating, the youth ambassadors, and we were looking at how we can talk to children, how to approach them, and um, kind of what our target target audience was and kind of what to ask. There was a lot of like brainstorming and lots of teamwork that went into the making of this and of course talking to the NGOs and learning more about how exactly we asked the right questions and who to ask them to. And what were some of the decisions that were made to make the process accessible to children? Uh, well we had to decide on like different ways to ask questions to different age groups because you can't approach them all the same. Yeah, it was, uh, there was a major focus on making sure that everybody was able to express themselves the way that they wanted to. So some people prefer to draw a picture or some people prefer to write a story um, and everything in between. And so was there any difference in the age groups? If we consider that, um, that the definition of child is up to 18 years of age, was there, was there any difference in the ways that different age groups like to um, or felt most comfortable being consulted I've noticed that um, younger people, they often um, like, yeah, like drawing um, pictures or like telling um, kind of creative stories, um, whereas older people, they, they um, prefer like a discussion and hearing what other people um, thought and kind of um, developing their ideas around that as well. What were some of the other questions that were created to ask children for their views? We asked about um, like what, what kind of made them happy, and so this was kind of targeting what is it that is most important to you? Um, and it was kind of really interesting what um, came out of that. Um, what, I guess there's a stereotype out there that kind of says that um, young people are really into like um, their phones, the internet or anything, but there was really basic things that people um, said that makes them happy, like hanging out with their family and their friends, um, really basic things like that. Yeah, and we also asked like bigger questions like, um, what would you do to improve the lives of other children? And it was really surprising to see that they were actually quite aware of some of the issues that needed to be targeted. We hope they have good food and water and things like that and serious things that affect lots of children in New Zealand. Uh, one of the interesting things that was a finding from how uh, children would help others was there is a real awareness that uh, a way to help children is through um, donating time or money to charities. Um, that was uh, an interesting finding. Was there anything else that was interesting? Um, the views are really... Um, I guess comprehensive, where well, young people should have more of a say in decision-making processes and that's something that they recognise, they said that they like being consulted with about um, what their rights are and what should be done to um, kind of achieve that. Yeah, and it was really surprising how similar, even throughout all the age groups, they all wanted the same things and even came up with the same ideas, even like in different ways, but they were all very similar. So another question that was asked was whether children's individuality, culture or beliefs were respected. What were the findings or the views of children around that question? Well, there was sort of like um, a, a skew like of either end. Some people were very aware of the fact that issues weren't being spoken about, things like that. And then the other end was people who had no idea what was going on and... So that big difference was rather surprising. So as part of children 
being supported in New Zealand, the government has a has a significant role. So, what is the question that we asked around what the government should do? Um, yeah, so we asked children um, what they thought that the government should do, and they came up with um, like a comprehensive list of um, really important ideas. Um, around things such as housing, um, they, they thought that the standard of um, living in New Zealand wasn't always um, met and there's a lot of um, people, especially in lower socioeconomic backgrounds, that are living in inadequate housing um, and children are getting sick from that. Yeah, and another big one was education. It was really amazing how much these children valued their education and wanted the government to like put in more efforts that more people could have the opportunity to access the same education they have. So, Sib, would you say there was quite an awareness that there is an equal opportunity within education? Yeah, there was quite an awareness, and they really wanted that to change because they were really passionate about things they learnt and allowing other people to have that same chance. Yeah, I definitely agree. I remember um, I think there was one um, boy at one of the consultations that I um, attended and, and was running, and he was talking about how he was... Um, he wasn't sure about whether, like, when he goes to um, university, whether he's going to be able to keep up because he feels that um, the secondary school system wasn't really um, working for him and he wasn't sure, like, he didn't really have the same um, opportunity to learn as some of the other um, children because he had a different kind of background from them. Safety was an important issue for children. What came up in relation to safety? I didn't meet any kids who were personally wanting to be safer in homes, but they wanted other children to feel safer at home and on the street and just for, like protection from things that shouldn't be in children's lives. So in reflection of the issues that were found out by and the viewpoints that children shared as part of this process, is there anything that really sticks with you, anything that you'd like to share? I guess for me it's that um, young people are capable of active participation and they should be um, treated that way and um, given more opportunity to have their say and um, decision-making process that especially when it affects them a lot. Young people aren't as passive as you'd expect. They have a lot to say and they just need to be given the opportunity to say those things and to participate because they really want to and they're really passionate. So what do we think should happen now? We've found out a lot of information. Both central government and local government should um, seriously look at um, kind of the conclusions that we've come to about what children um, think about their rights and they should try and implement ways that um, children's voices can be heard and ways to um, try and mitigate unequal distribution of opportunities um, to different children um, and trying to alleviate um, child poverty in New Zealand, which is also a big issue that um, children identified. So something that happens and comes up all the time and not necessarily in a purposely negative way is that people often say that children are the future. What's your answer to that? What do you think of that statement? Yeah, I think that statement can sometimes be used negatively in the sense that they'll say children in the future so they need to do better for themselves. But we actively all need to cohesively try and do better because the future is theirs, but we have an impact on, like adults have, the, have an impact on the future for children. So we all need to try to work together to make that future better, better. And that involves giving children the opportunity to have an input as well as adults actively trying to make it better and considering their opinions. So if you were sitting on the committee of the rights of the child in Geneva and you had the opportunity to ask Minister Tolly a question or to give her some advice, what would that be in relation to the rights of children in New Zealand? Maybe um, there should be more processes like this where um, you know children create kind of a way of um, asking children what they want and then um, 
um, like children kind of answer. And so um, that's kind of process where it's kind of not intimidating. Um, I guess there's a lot of um, government services out there where they um, kind of extract information um, from adult, um, like adult to children. And I think um, that's not always, if, always effective um, for some young people. Yeah, mine would be the same, like to continue making processes like this. And also whenever they go to make a decision, I'd want her to consider the fact that the impact grows beyond now, like it affects so much more and affects so many children and so they should constantly be considered. So one of the disappointing findings is that very few children in New Zealand know about their rights and even more disappointing is they don't know about the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and they've had very little formal learning about that convention or the process or can connect that to their own life. What would be your advice on what we should do to bring a change so that all children in New Zealand know about their rights and so do the adults that work for and with them? Um, I think probably the most effective way is introducing it into the um, school curriculum um, because most children um, go through school, especially um, primary school is a major one. And to um, learn about your rights from such a young age is something that's um, really important and I think um, that would be a really effective way um, of um, of implementing it. One of the barriers to learning about rights is that people can think that if children know about their rights that it means they'll be spoilt or demanding and that adults will not be able to control them. What's your opinion when you hear something like that? Is that true or what would you have to say? Yeah, I don't think the rights actually give the opportunity to act spoiled because they're just about basic necessities that they deserve and you can't really take them out of context and use them as a way to, you know, not cooperate with your parents or people. Um, so I don't think that would happen if people actually knew about their rights. Why should the government teach us all about children's rights? Why should adults, parents, professionals, children know about children's rights and responsibilities that are part of those rights? How do you think that that will make our government improve our country for the better? Um, well, I think everybody knowing about um, our rights um, is something that's going to, it affects everybody and it's um, something that everybody is a part of. The more we know about it and the more that we um, acknowledge it and um, make sure that they're upheld, the more that um, we're going to have some posit have positive outcomes where people are um, feeling as though that they're respected and that their rights are taken into account and their views um, and opinions um, and diversity and uniqueness is taken into account as well. When you know your rights, you're more likely to actively go out and fight for what you deserve. And so if adults and children both know that children have rights and that they're entitled to certain things, this will significantly improve our future because then people will, children who are in bad situations will know that they have the right to ask for better and to go and ask to be treated differently. And adults will know that they should be fighting for children who are in bad situations and the government is there to support them and the decisions that they want to make to improve their lives. So five years from now, we will be in this process yet again, where our government will be reporting again to the Committee on the Rights of the Child on the progress for children in New Zealand. What are your hopes that New Zealand will be like in five years for children? What changes do you hope we will see in that time? Um, well, I hope that there would be a lot of um, kind of work done towards um, like what we found, um, trying to improve bullying in schools. I think there was a statistic where I think it was 96% of um, teachers in, 
in schools that know that bullying is happening in their school. And I, I think that's something that's um, it's really shocking. And then um, we really needed to address that because um, it's such a big issue in things such as um, poverty and housing that children identify. That's something, if, if children can see it, and it's not something that just affects children, it affects um, everybody in the home. And inadequate housing. Um, and so that's something that we really need to um, address. Um, and I hope that when um, this process happens again in five years, um, that we won't be seeing um, these things or to such the degree that we are now um, and that children actually know more about their rights. By then, if we were to ask people, what are your rights? They'll say, I actually know. And that'll be a big difference. That was UNICEF New Zealand Youth Ambassador Ethan Sturm and Save the Children New Zealand Youth Ambassador Sid Mushariwa with our Child Rights Education Advisor Jackie Southey. Now we turn our attention to the Syrian crisis, and in particular, Aleppo. In Aleppo, 96 children have been killed and 223 children injured in merciless attacks this week alone, each one a daughter or a son. Doctors have been forced to let some children die while saving others with scarce medical supplies. Tens of thousands of children drinking dirty water because a pumping station was bombed and another switched off. Brave aid and rescue workers killed. Aid convoys destroyed. The world is watching these horrors unfold. Every day they continue and get worse. UNICEF and our partners have just delivered some supplies to the besieged areas of Medaya and three other towns. In addition to continuing operations in western Aleppo, we are doing what we can to provide trucked water supplies throughout the city. There are more than 100,000 children in eastern Aleppo. When attacks hit this densely populated part of the city, children are always likely victims. Children and their families are hiding in basements, but these are now very dangerous as massive explosive weapons are being used. There is nowhere safe for a child in eastern Aleppo. UNICEF workers on the ground are doing all that they can to help. Our reporter Nick Dale spoke to one of our colleagues in Syria. Aleppo is Syria's largest city and the locus of the civil war in that country. It is also the epicenter of the European refugee crisis, with many Aleppians opting to flee at the outset of fighting. However, many Aleppians have resolved to stay. One such resident is Basma Orfali, who works for UNICEF as a communications consultant. She lives with her family in a frontline area and spoke to us about the situation on the ground. Well, um, I, I grew up in Aleppo and like uh, since the war started, uh, I haven't left the place. I'm living with my family, so we did not take the decision of uh, leaving uh, Aleppo. First, uh, uh, it was very hard to to get adapt to the situation of war. Uh, back in 2012 and 2013, like uh, the city was. Uh, in darkness there was no electricity at all so we started depending on alternative solutions uh, uh, creating kinds of candles that will stay or last for a while or and uh, you know uh, it was 
difficult also because um, uh, my movement outside home was very limited because I, as I told you before, I live in a kind of dangerous area. So I stay at home or indoors a lot. The bombardment of Aleppo has particularly affected children. According to UNICEF, in spite of nearly 5 million people fleeing the country, 8 million children remain in Syria. The continued siege has prevented anyone from leaving the area, creating one of the worst situations for Syrian children in more than five years of war. Ayyad is a festival after Ramadan. It is usually a special time for Syrian children. Basma tells us that last year's Ayyad was quite difficult. Uh, I remember last uh, last year uh, and during Eid was uh, took place uh, in the middle of the summer and the temperature was really very high and uh, you know uh, what do you expect of children when they are in the Eid time you expect them to to see them wearing new clothes and you know visiting family and you know, receiving presents, but our children were not doing that. They were uh, uh, standing up in long lines to fetch water because what water was was cut for for a very very long time. Basma has been working for UNICEF for a year now, working as a communications consultant. This sees her capturing the stories of many of the children UNICEF helps in the Syrian conflict. There is one uh, one uh, child I, I I really very I recall her. Uh, her name uh, is Hanin. Uh, Hanin uh, lives in a shelter uh, with her family. She is um, eleven years old. Hanin was displaced for almost seven times, and she like uh, left Aleppo for a while and went back. So Hanin was very ups like sad girl. She was very sad. And when I met her, uh, the way I met her that uh, I was visiting a, a recreational recreational center supported by UNICEF. Uh, when we started filming her, the first thing that she said, like, my name is Hani, and she burst into tears. And I couldn't understand, like, what happened? She said yes, like, she wanted to have this interview. And even the parents weren't, like, looking, like, aggressive or something. And later on, so of course we stopped filming, um, but later on I discovered that Hanin was uh, was really under stress and pressure for a while. When we finished filming Hanin, uh, her mother said, uh, told me, thank you very much, um, she's a different person. And I spent time with her, like I listened. She wanted someone just to listen. Like for me, I am like um, uh, a young woman, Maybe she would like to to tell her story for uh, a young woman who will appreciate her story, her her talents, her um, you know everything about her. And this is exactly my role. I feel like I need to convey uh, the voices and the messages of these children to the world. That was Basma Orfali, UNICEF's communications consultant in Aleppo, Syria.
That's all the time we have for today's show, but we're always happy to hear from you and really pleased that you joined us. Please feel free to get in touch with me, Ethan at unicef.org.nz. That's Ethan at unicef.org.nz. If you want to find out more about our work to help children in Syria and around the world, Really appreciate you joining us here on For Every Child. Please tune in next month when we'll be bringing you more stories about children here in New Zealand and around the world. For Every Child, brought to you by UNICEF New Zealand.